Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, Explorers. I'm Pam Lorikia, and this is episode number 254 of the podcast. It's the 2nd of December, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, I have a wonderful conversation with Daniela Bramwell, an unschooling mom living in Ecuador. Daniela's journey is fascinating. As a child, she was a student at an alternative free school, but as an adult, found herself wondering if there was a better way to approach learning. She dove deep into learning about educational philosophies, including pursuing her PhD in the field. And then, as a mother, she found unschooling. We talk about her varied experiences in education, what she's figured out along the way, and the joy she's finding now, living and learning with her family. As a personal update, right now I'm focused on writing a talk to record for an online conference in the new year. It reminds me how much I love writing. This week, I also had an aha moment of inspiration for a book series I'd love to write next year. I'd been percolating an idea for a couple of years now, and I was listening to a podcast about writing, and boom, yay. (laughs) I'm looking forward to exploring the idea more deeply in the new year to see if it actually holds together. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support helps pay for the hosting and transcription, as well as my time spent creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the growing podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Daniela. Welcome. I'm Pamela Riccia from livingjoyfully.ca. And today I'm here with Daniela Bramwell. Hi, Daniela. Hi, hi, Pam. Hi. <laughs> so nice to see you. <laughs> it's so nice to see you too. We have gotten to know each other um, over the last few months in the network, and I'm really excited to hear more about your unschooling journey. So to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and what everybody's interested in right now? Okay, um, (laughs) there's uh, three of us and one cat. (laughs) Um, Marco is uh, my spouse, and Emma is our daughter. She's four, four and a half. Um, And... I guess we're a Canadian Ecuadorian family. <laughs> um, I mostly grew up here in Ecuador, uh, but my whole family's in Canada. And Marco is Ecuadorian, and Emma's kind of been in both places, lived in both places. <laughs> um, Emma is really into uh, everything, kind of like animated animals and things so like cars with eyes <laughs> but mostly plush toys so like anything with eyes and the talks that are things or animals but mostly animals and plush toys she loves them loves them loves them and um 
spends hours, mostly with us, we spend hours every day playing all kinds of imaginary games involving all kinds of mostly plush toys, but sometimes little figurines. Um, and she also loves kind of watching videos. So like, I don't know, Minnie Mouse, or she loves Doc McStuffins that has all the animated toys. Um, she loves kind of iPad games that have like animated uh, animals in it. And she loves drawing. She spends usually on at least an hour a day, I'd say, sometimes even four. It's just amazing. She really, really loves drawing. And she draws out all of these stories and scenes that she tells us of, with the animated animals. I'm just amazed by her drawings because it's completely uninhibited. She'll just go, you know, she just thinks about what she wants to draw and she just draws it. There's no, oh, this is wrong. I'm going to erase it. Or, no, she just kind of draws and she draws amazing movement like she'll draw animals falling or flying or sleeping or sitting or crouched down or running and there's so much movement and expressions in their faces it's quite amazing to us and she tells us the story of what they are and her drawings are inspired by um all kinds of things I guess like the 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 uh, things that she likes to watch or iPad games, a lot of books also. So she likes like the animated characters in books, uh, a lot of real life stories. Even one time there was a sticker that we found on an old toy of a kind of like an animated skeleton. And that inspired months of drawing <laughs> skeletons. Uh, she also likes, um, so she loves plush toys. And then sometimes she wants one that we can't, we haven't we don't have or, or we haven't found to buy and and she's wanted to in the last year or so or more we started uh, sometimes sewing them <laughs> so one time she said you know I want let's make cat in the hat and so we sewed <laughs> so we now have a kind of plush toy of the cat in the hat and then recently it was the Knox and the fox <laughs> and then we made a box <laughs> and the blue socks that we were playing <laughs> and uh oh and a lot of like with plasticine also making all kinds of uh animals animated animals Oh, you froze. Oh, there you are. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, making all kinds of animated animals and figurines with uh, plasticine too. And um, what else? Oh, she really likes uh, kind of putting on her, her music tracks. And they're kind of kids songs that also have like stories involved. And so we can dance around for hours. <laughs> all the family and we're involved in these kind of stories that, that are part of the songs or sometimes like she drew something that was on the song or she'll take a plush toy and have him sleep and it's part of the song is like she has all of these stories <laughs> that she's always thinking of <laughs> and, and acting or drawing or uh, you know creating in some way <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like it, it really it sounds like she is like just steeped in story and she's just finding all these different ways of expressing those. That's yeah. <laughs> so wild. So through acting them out, um, through drawing, through uh, sculpting. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. And she does a lot like wordplay a lot. So she's also like she's really humorous so she makes she, she likes to make us laugh and, and she laughs herself about all kinds of things but even when she was really really young I remember she wasn't 
even six months old, like she was kind of like, um, you know, like dragging herself across the floor, like when they're not crawling yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she knew that Marco got so freaked out if she picked up like something on the floor to stick it in her mouth because he was afraid she would choke. Uh, so he'd get like he wouldn't get angry or anything. He'd just be like, oh, 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 what do you have in your mouth? And so she was kind of moving along the floor. And then she looked at us with this sparkle in her eye and this cheeky grin and like took her fingers and like eh, started to put like act as if she was putting something in her mouth <laughs> but she didn't have anything in her fingers like we could see that there was nothing there and she was just laughing at us it was so funny <laughs> and and then she quickly kind of like I don't know before she started talking a little bit before one like words and by one and a half she was saying full sentences and tons of word games and and kind of jokes with that so she gets such a kick out of it like if I say like oh would you like something to eat no nothing and so I say here's a plate with nothing and she just cracks up and then she'll be laughing about it for ages and she remembers like old lines and brings them up for us to laugh about it's so fun (laughs) oh my goodness yes it sounds like (laughs) there (laughs) (laughs) so we have so much fun (laughs) and then uh, I'd say Marco's one main thing that he loves is playing with her (laughs) and with us (laughs) he just loves like I I learned so much about kind of imaginary play from watching them play because I guess I don't know I can sometimes but I find a little bit more difficult but I'm a lot better now so I can spend several hours playing now too (laughs) but um when she was tiny like I don't know she wasn't she was like two one and a half and they would already start playing with the with the plush animals and she wasn't answering much but he was kind of keeping on the game and she but she was totally immersed and and putting her bits in and uh they go into these wild (laughs) wild games (laughs) pretty much every day (laughs) Could you talk a little bit about um, how you uh, got better, for lack of a, like with the imaginative play? Because I know that's something a lot, that's something I had to learn when I was, you know, <laughs> I started staying home with my kids finally and, and being able to participate some, like it is yeah. our own level. Like some of us are, are more comfortable with it than others, but I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got more comfortable with it. <laughs> well, um, I guess like I was always very open to playing with her in every way that, that I could. So I would play, you know, like tickles or like fly yeah. like a bird, like on my feet, like she would fly and I don't know, drawing things and reading and all these things came easily, but the, the kind of interacting with little toys did not come so easily um and I think I mostly learned by watching him and like the types of things that he would say and and the types of games that they would play and then I would kind of play the same games (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and also but also I found that at the moment when they started those role play games I was really stressed because of a lot of things that were going on in in our lives um and also kind of getting triggered from things in the past, I think. I don't know. But uh, in the end, I talked to a therapist. <laughs> I looked for one that was kind of unschooling friendly. <laughs> um, and and I talked about kind of like mindfulness and not having my mind wander. Because as soon as we would start, I would, you know, like two seconds later, my mind was like, oh, and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I, I don't know, even like inventing things almost like, oh, I have to wash the dishes right now and go running off to wash the dishes when I 
of course the dishes could wait, but just kind of <laughs> that urge to like get things done. Um, yeah. So I was, I still am, but kind of trying to think about those ideas of productivity and getting things done and what my priorities are and learning more about mindfulness um, and trying to choose like to be in the moment. <laughs> um I think I, so think I guess I kind of a mix of all of those things, mm-hmm. but a lot of watching them play, a lot of watching them play and, and trying to sometimes kind of being invited and sometimes being told to go away <laughs> and accepting that really gracefully and with a smile and not being hurt and then like being invited in again. Cause that's another thing. Like, let's say I'd be washing the dishes or doing whatever else and they're playing. And then Emma will come running into the kitchen and like, hand me a plush toy and that's an invitation to play but my hands are full of soap and maybe grease and like I don't know I'm like busy so sometimes I would just say oh I'll be there later but then Marco was saying like and he would also kind of that was like two three years ago he would be busy doing something and then he was like oh I'll come later and then he at one night he just said no like we we shouldn't do that like it's an invitation to play it's like an honor it's the most magical thing like I have to, I dropped everything today. And like, every time she invited me to play, I just jumped right in. And so I kind of, I guess the story was like, I have these things to do and like, I'll play later. And like, you know, you play alone. I don't know. There's all these messages. I think, I don't know, in my cultural sphere of like, kids should play alone and like adults need to get things done and kids need to understand that and learn. And then I was like, no, 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 no. That sounds amazing. I'm going to jump into and accept every invitation I can. Like, if there's something about to burn in the frying pan, then I'll ask her to wait a minute. But but now it's just uh, jump in as, as soon as I get invited. <laughs> I, I love that phrase, that way of looking at it, that invitation to play. And, and I think a lot of what you were talking about is also learning to value play. Like, yeah, as in for ourselves, like it, it's easy to value for your child, but you know, your child's playing and I should be productive and doing these things. And there's just yeah. so much messaging, right? That a I get you know this other stuff done before yeah. I'm allowed to play but yes, yeah realizing that invitation to play is that invitation to connect is that whole that's where our relationship and our it's the most yeah it's the most connecting moment and the most I guess in the end like I don't know if that's the right word like fulfilling for me like maybe if maybe I, I have like all of these kind of barriers in my mind preventing me from enjoying that moment but when I can kind of let go in that and really enjoy then it's the deepest connection with her and the biggest joy. <laughs> and oh, and one more thing I might add is that <laughs> I don't know uh, if you've read Playful Parenting by Lawrence Cohen. I've heard of it. I have not read it yet. Anyway, I read that and I loved it. And there, and it's really, really nice. And, and he has all kinds of ideas about games. So I also got ideas from there. But also uh, he's a play therapist. And so he kind of like, talks about ways to help kids work through things through their play yeah and so I really loved it and and I'm not saying that and so I but I kind of latched onto it in in the wrong way well not in the wrong way but just in the way that sometimes like if I would play with them I would try and get her to work through things or like I would try and be like oh let's play that we're going on the train to visit my mom like because that was a situation that was a bit difficult and in a way it was helpful for her but in an in another way it was like a barrier because I wasn't always uh kind of following her lead and just kind of playing for the joy of it but Mm -hmm. I was kind of like I had this agenda in my mind and so she does not like agendas (laughs) she just (laughs) sent them a mile away since she was tiny (laughs) 
So then she would kind of like look at me like now nah, and go and look for Marco to play with. So that was another piece that I had to drop. So I'm not I'm not saying that lo- that that uh, the author Lawrence Cohen suggests that that's the way you should play with your kids. That that's totally on me. But I'm just saying <laughs> that that's that's one of the things that I did and that. Yeah. So I stopped doing that. (laughs) I mean, it's a great and helpful thing to mention because, you know, as we're bringing in new ideas and we're processing them and we're playing around with them and and you played with that. Oh, that might be helpful. Right. And then you. Yeah. Experienced and and that's not working for Emma. (laughs) It wasn't working that great. When (laughs) Emma's choosing maybe to play and work through those certain situations so it's on her agenda. Yeah, if she brings it up, then then that's perfect. Then yeah, exactly. I just try and go with the flow, and and uh, I don't know, just play. And and the thing for me, it's important. I guess it's not everybody that's like that, but for me, it's important not to try and have an agenda or a plan because that's a lot of what I like, what I constantly tend to do. So, <laughs> um, yes, and I, I can, found I, often I when I. I'm doing that when I'm trying to even subtly direct uh, the play is that I'm not noticing the way that they're subtly trying to direct the play. Like they (laughs) may be trying to accomplish something and I'm so busy trying to accomplish my thing that I'm not noticing where their head's at basically. Right. Right. So then they, (laughs) they, they lose that opportunity. Yeah, but I mean, it, it all bubbles up. We're all we're all learning, <laughs> playing in those moments. But yeah, I'll put links in the show notes to that. And um, Bernie DeCoven, I think is his name, is a, a play guy that I had read his book and stuff. So we'll put those links in for people. Okay, <laughs> I haven't read that one, so I could read that one <laughs> uh, to enjoy. Um, we didn't hit on your. Oh yeah, I didn't talk about anybody else. <laughs> okay, so um, Marco loves. Um, lots of things. I think martial arts has kind of been a thread since he was young. <laughs> and so, and that's kind of, we met through Capoeira. Um, he kind of started the largest group here in, well, the first and the largest group here in Ecuador. Uh, before that, when he was 14, he started uh, Taekwondo at, um, at school and was competing. And uh, he also has done boxing and MMA and all these things and uh I I also like um I don't I don't like I don't I would never want to compete and I don't like the fighting aspects but I do like the movement aspects (laughs) and it feels empowering to punch a bag (laughs) and so I've done kickboxing too and boxing and oh and we did Muay Thai lessons too (laughs) um and uh and I did Capoeira also for like 10 years (laughs) Ah. and um and so he's still uh part of several several groups and and now in the pandemic has been training from home and also uh, doing a few youtube videos <laughs> i i haven't really been active for a few years um active in any groups or any kind of classes or anything um but i still like to sometimes do some kind of kickboxing videos or stuff like that on my own <laughs> um and so he also he likes um physics and he's an electric engineer <laughs> like I believe you 
<laughs> you know, you in your past life. <laughs> anyway, he's an electric engineer and he he likes his his profession. Um so he also he said and I asked him what I should say his interests are and I kind of listed like martial arts and he's interested in history and like kind of like the history of weapons and uh, airplanes and all all different things. And so I listed a whole bunch of things he was interested in. He said, yeah, but you're forgetting electric engineering. I was like, oh, okay, okay. I'll mention that of interest. <laughs> Sorry. Oops. <laughs> it's nice to be interested in the work that you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he loves, I think, uh, that the thing that he loves the most, uh, apart from kind of our family life, is also, uh, talking to his sisters <laughs> and his mostly his sisters I guess like hanging out with them and talking with them and brothers-in-laws like family gatherings they do karaoke and uh, <laughs> we have a lot of fun <laughs> and then <laughs> for me um, also playing with Emma and our family life and chatting with Marco uh, is kind of my favorite thing <laughs> um, I've been interested in education for a very very long time um, so I, I worked in education. I started teaching English when I was 16. And then I, anyway, all kinds of things related to education and learning and psychology and relationships and uh, why the world is the way it is in terms of like social inequity <laughs> and, you know, like where does racism come from and, you know, how does that happen and how can we change it and things like that. I'm interested in questions like that. I'm also, um, as I mentioned, kind of, I like, I liked uh, capoeira. I like, um, I don't know, like movement related to like dance or martial art, or I'm, I also love singing. <laughs> so that also drew me to capoeira because I could uh, kind of do singing and instruments and kind of like dance and martial art movements. Yeah. Um, and I also really enjoy doing things with my hands, like, the things that Emma likes doing right now, like sewing and uh, plasticine figures and drawing, I like Yay! that. <laughs> and reading. I've always loved reading. Always, always, always loved reading several, many hours a day. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. I love the way uh, a good chunk of them weave together. Like, yeah, <laughs> even, that's the thing, you know, that, that we're adults now and we can't be interested in the same things. Like, I mean, if you were sewing or, or you know, sculpting just for yourself, you would probably probably be doing different things yet what a fun way to enjoy time together right yeah like <laughs> it's, it's the doing things with with your hands you know whether you're sewing plushies and you're you know sculpting Doc McStuffins characters <laughs> that's what we were doing <laughs> yeah exactly but that's a it, it still um helps satisfy that that urge right that you can bring your joy to it even when you're making different things yeah <laughs> and enjoy I enjoy it too <laughs> yeah yeah no that's awesome and I you mentioned your uh, interest in education and that's what we're going to deep dive into <laughs> today which I think will be really really interesting I'm I'm excited to learn some more about it but I think it'll be really interesting for people listening so um, to start with, let's, let's start there. Let's start with um, growing up because you went to an alternative Montessori free school growing up. So I thought we could start there and you could, maybe you could share a bit about that experience. 
Okay. Um, I think I'll start a little bit before that, though, because it also ties into the story. (laughs) Uh, So in terms of kind of like schooling or education, um, uh, my parents, so my mom said I went to a kind of nursery school or something in England where I was born. And then when I was four or five, we moved to Canada. And then and, and my parents had already read this book about this school called Pestalozzi in Ecuador. And so it's the kind of Montessori freestyle school that you just mentioned. So the Pestalozzi was, um, anyway, based on different kind of progressive ideas about education, but mostly I guess free school is a good description for it. So they had read that book and they loved it, but that was Ecuador in South America and they were in England and their family was in Canada. They were from Canada. So they went back to Canada and they started looking for kind of like alternative schools. <laughs> and so we were uh, in Ottawa uh-huh. and um, my mom said that I went to, I think it was five different schools, but I don't remember all of them because <laughs> they were kind of trying out these schools. Um, I do remember one that my mom said they were supposed to be alternative, but uh, the only thing that was alternative about it was that we had this kind of break where we all, and that I do remember, we went to this large gym and we were supposed to lie on a mat and they had us do like meditation or yoga for a few minutes. <laughs> but I think that was the only thing that was alternative about it. The rest of it was, you know, regular curriculum and classroom work and things. Um, and then they didn't like any of the options. And so they tried homeschooling for a few months or something. I don't remember that either. <laughs> But they said it didn't, they didn't, it didn't work for them. They didn't, they didn't uh, like it. Um, but I think they hadn't found unschooling. They were trying to somehow get curriculum in, but it was me and uh, my sister, three years younger, and my sister, five years younger, who was kind of a baby toddler. My mom had her hands really full. Mm-hmm. And so my dad said he would come back from work really stressed and angry and try and teach me stuff. <laughs> And he said, that's the reason I'm kind of freaked out with math, but I don't remember that either. (laughs) (laughs) And then the school that I do remember was the last one right before we moved to Ecuador. And that's uh, a kind of public school. Well, it was a Catholic school, Mm -hmm. but in Ontario, they're Catholic public schools. Anyway, so I remember going there and I remember, I don't remember that much, but I do remember one thing that I really liked. The teacher had a, a kind of game where each week a student brought in a big jar of something. So I I think I really liked it because there was candy in it a lot of times. (laughs) And we were all supposed to guess like how many, how many items there were in it. So like 214. And then at the end of the week, we'd count it all out and see how many there actually were. And the one who was closest to the guess, I think, got the contents of the jar or something like that. I remember things like that snippets. Um, But I do remember a lot of other things that I think um kind of or or I don't know if I remember but now I know that I learned a lot about competing mm-hmm. and uh, kind of peer pressure and prizes you know and prizes and punishment for doing certain things I remember in when second grade right before coming there was, was some kind of math lesson but I remember so clearly because one of the children answered how he had resolved the math problem but instead of doing the sum he did the subtraction the subtracting or uh anyway something like that and the teacher was so proud of him and saying like look what he did like he managed to solve it in this way and that's genius and you should all follow that and then gave him a prize because that teacher had set up a thing where he would give you points or tokens or something and at the end of the week you could buy something 
like a teddy bear or chocolate or something with those tokens. Yeah. And I remember being so jealous of that child and just like feeling like all this envy and like mean energy in me, like, why does he get the answer? And why didn't I think of that? And I don't know, just a lot of kind of negative energy around um, learning. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember all of these little snippets and then kind yeah. of with all the things that I, that I was reading, kind of looking back and thinking, okay, so that really kind of the way, I guess, the, the, the school I was in and also the surrounding culture that really um, had a big influence in how, like what I think of learning and how I was also interacting with peers once I got to that free school and, and with my siblings too. I just look back and I w- there was a lot of competing. Like I always wanted to pick some game where I would try and win. And that yeah. did not bring me a lot of friends nor <laughs> 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 a lot of happiness. <laughs> the, oh, the thinking of books, there's a, a really good book by Alfie Kahn called Competition or something like that. And when I read that, I was, oh, wow, that mm. just... Yeah. brings up so many things and helps me understand so many things. But anyway, I have these amazing, amazing parents who a lot of people are, think are quite uh, strange when they decided all of a sudden to move to South America, to Ecuador, with uh, three children under eight and one almost uh, ready to be born. I think my mom was seven or eight months pregnant. I don't know, six, seven months pregnant. And they decided to move in February all the way to Ecuador. They have never, they had never been to Ecuador, but they just decided that that was enough with the Canadian traditional kind of school system. They needed something different. They were sick of the winter. I remember them saying that a lot. Like, wow, putting on snow suits for three girls and then they need the bathroom. <laughs> so they actually moved to Ecuador. And that's why I grew up in Ecuador and they moved specifically mainly for uh, the free school for a different education for us, which is quite amazing. (laughs) So, so they moved to the, that area in Ecuador um, specifically near the school so that you guys could go there, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And, you know, I can understand wanting to escape winter, especially like <laughs> Yes. After when I went to Canada as an adult, I was like, okay, I understand this. February is not good. <laughs> Thank goodness my birthday. <laughs> That's the only thing they get <laughs> I mean, February is great, but the way winter is harsh. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I remember uh, they told us, you know, we'd be going to this this what they asked us I think I'm saying like oh it's this school and you know and it has all of these things and they have rabbits and llamas and dogs and they have you know these amazing spaces and no winter and I remember we were trying to learn Spanish <laughs> and I knew un dos tres elefante because of that song of the elephant <laughs> sobre una tela de una araña I remember that's the only thing I knew about Spanish <laughs> On that kid's song <laughs> and my parents didn't speak Spanish either they think they took a month lesson that was it but my mom is French Canadian so they both spoke French too so I think that helped a little bit mm-hmm. um and we did too so anyway so we arrived here and uh the Pestalozzi school has no curriculum had it's closed now uh there was no curriculum there were no grades there were no marks there were no prizes there were no 
things that you had to learn by a certain age. <laughs> and uh, it was a, a huge space. They had an amazing space that they had built. Um, all I'd say Waldorf style. They never mentioned Waldorf, but later when I read, it's like those ideas of like children need nature and things that are made of wood and like natural materials. So they had this for their kindergarten area. They had this huge building set up with like miniature chairs with like size for ch children under five with made of wood and tables and like doll houses but all made of wood and like natural materials and a little kitchen and like a music area and a book area and this huge area with uh water and soap like to play with water and all these climbing structures and even like a carpenter area with all these different tools <laughs> that kids could use even two-year-olds like a hammer <laughs> and things like that um, so just an amazing space. And then for older children, like kind of the same, but more like functioning kitchen with, with a gas burner from like six and up and knives and, um, like just a lot of trust in kids and like a carpentry area, arts area, lots of outside things and everything kind of with that, um, uh, kind of like towards natural materials and also lots of Montessori material. So like for math and for reading. So there was like the math area with all these uh, materials. <laughs> um, and, and they organized all kinds of trips, like to a factory and to the pool. And they had all of these uh, amazing things going on. <laughs> so it was a really nice space. Um, and lots of amazing things about the school. <laughs> yeah, so and you enjoyed your time there mostly <laughs> I um I had a really hard time making friends there so that was hard for me um and there were some things that I didn't enjoy <laughs> and some things that made me think like would I want Emma to go there and there were certain things that I was not sure about about that I agreed with and at first before kind of finding unschooling and reading about unschooling, I kind of thought the problem was that there was there weren't any kind of classes. There weren't any there wasn't a lot of structure. So I remember like seeing the chemistry area and thinking like, I'd love to learn about chemistry. I have no idea where to start. So there were some kids that would go in there and do experiments, but I didn't know at all where to start. And so I was just like, I wish there was some kind of introduction or class or something that I could just join and somebody would guide me through the beginning steps. Or like, I don't know, my dad would say like, oh, but haven't you heard this? Like, don't you know this thing about physics or about whatever? And I was like, no, where would I even start learning about that? So I, and when I wanted to go to university, there was kind of a it was difficult for me to to do the entrance exams and I had to take all these classes before and I found the math so difficult and I kind of thought that was because of the school like the way that the school was set up that they that I wasn't prepared mm -hmm. but then I realized uh there were so many other students who were failing these tests too and had gone to regular schools <laughs> and then you know I did so well in in university I just I was the valedictorian I got A's for every single class and all the teachers loved me because I was so interested in my learning and um, so interested in, I don't know, passionate about all these different classes. Um, so kind of later, like at first I blamed the school and, and like uh, also I thought like not, not having friends and not fitting in socially, at least if it had been a classroom setting, I would have been part of the class. Like I would have been part of the lessons and the, the, the outings and whatever. 
Um, but in that school, it was just, you know, everybody was doing their own thing and there, I wasn't necessarily part of any class anyway. So that's what I thought before reading all these things about unschooling. <laughs> and then it ch changed everything for me. I just thought, no, that's not the things that, that like the, the, the reasons that I thought, like that kind of drew me to studying education at university and just trying to figure out like what would be a, an ideal school for me and I didn't have Emma then but like what would what would really work because I thought like I didn't find the vista um that, that alternative school there were lots of things that I thought didn't really work well like kids not being able to read at age 14 and for me that was like scandalous um but <laughs> with no with no one with no kind of background for saying like well who cares if they don't read at 14 like what's the problem with that but it was just like all of these kind of society messages but without about like what was right and wrong with learning but without really being to pro able to process it or like I don't know getting teased by kids who are not at the school like oh you don't know multiplication tables you don't know this that but with no kind of guidance of how to think about that or work through it yeah. I don't know yeah, so no. I guess my so I, so when I read things of unschooling like oh but you could tell your kids they could answer this way or that way like I think oh that kind of guidance would have been nice I guess the adults in my life didn't know what to do in that yeah. those situations <laughs> that's going to be really interesting when we when we get to the to the unschooling piece like because it's totally understandable like from the way you describe that experience and how you were experiencing that school and yeah. You know, like you, you weren't having those kind of conversations with your parents or with people at the school when you hear those external messages, right? About yeah, multiplication, like all that external stuff that that we hear because they're so predominant in society, right? Yeah, you get those messages and um, without being able to kind of process and and talk to people about that, um, and the way you were were the way you just were personally experiencing that school as in, you know, not again, no conversations about helping you how to engage with the chemistry area. Yeah. If that was interesting to you, you know, stuff like that. So uh, you know, it, it's really understandable how you came out of that experience feeling like that wasn't a, a helpful educational environment for you. Right. Yeah. So then you were and I, I love the piece, too, about how you were noticing, you know, when you were writing your entrance exams and that so many people were finding it challenging regardless of their background. And where yeah. Right. Yeah. So but this was your moment to lean into those. And you, you know, as you said, you leaned in well, you did very well at university. And so I imagine. So was it that experience growing up with that school that got you interested in education because that's what you started and we'll go right into the next question basically is that you became very interested in studying education and like you mentioned your master's and teaching courses and mm. PhD um, so I yeah I'd be curious to to learn you were trying to figure out what a good educational experience would be so I think so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking there's a few more pieces about the school, but I wasn't sure if I should mention them because I kind of thinking like ahead of, of when I kind of in the uh, 
uh, sorry, in the order of questions, further along, there's a question kind of like, like, how does it compare to unschooling or what's yeah, different yeah. from unschooling? So I'm kind of in my head, I'm in a muddle like, oh, I know I it's like for but, pieces for that question. Yeah, but did, what did I, you know, I was trying to, I thought maybe we could talk about like where your headspace was at the time, right? Because at the time, you didn't know about unschooling. You hadn't heard right. about it. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh. So so a few more pieces like yeah. um, about the, the school and, and how I felt at the moment is that um, I felt also kind of frustrated because I wanted to take, for example, flute lessons or acting lessons or singing lessons or I wanted like to learn those things. And I guess maybe it was kind of my schoolish mind still from from my Canadian experience that I wanted a class for those things. But also it was because uh, I wanted to meet new people. Like I felt like that was kind of like a specific group of people, but I wanted to meet new people, other people and go out into the world. And uh, also, like, I remember asking one of the teachers, like, oh, I really want to read music. And she kind of said, oh, yeah, like, this means this, this means this. Now go off and learn it on your own. I was like, I need more than that. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't enough. <laughs> that wasn't enough. Like, it gave me a clue, but it was like, okay, now what do I do? So I really wanted to go and learn all these things. Uh, but that was not not accepted in that school. So uh, there was a very big... Um, belief of non-directivity I don't know that's not even in English but like not to direct uh children so like not interfere I think they never said not interfere but that was the kind of feeling of it so it was like and that was another thing that was looking back I think like something that was difficult for me like you were supposed to play with the kids like the adults were there to facilitate but there was a lot of like I won't interfere so it's like they, there wasn't a strong developing of relationships with us. It was more like a bit observing, like, oh, okay. So, oh, you need this thing? Okay, this is how it works. Or there was a lot of like boundaries. So we'll set these rules um, and make sure that, that you know, nothing crazy happens. Like that was the role of the adults, like to, to make sure that, that nothing wrong happened or to help if someone got hurt or whatever. Um, but not a lot of developing strong relationships. And I think there was a lot of that thing of like not interfere. So uh, so like that you'd kind of get in the way of, of the kids learning or uh, like direct too much and, and interfere. So so that was the thing like they really didn't encourage parents and like actively ask them not to put them in any classes, uh, not to get us in any classes because then we would be getting directive, directed instruction. Like, we, like if I went to like a, a music lesson, then I'd be told what to do and I'd be uh, you know, given a like traditional education and be, you know, like yeah. that, that's, that's the word they use directing. Um, but so, so that was a no <laughs> and, uh, TV was a no and screens were a no and, uh, computers were a no. So anything like technology was also frowned upon. And that kind of rings a bell even now, like in parenting groups, like all the natural parenting groups, like there's things that I agree with, with like attachment parenting, but then screens are just like, this evil thing that are gonna rot your brain <laughs> and so um that was one of the main things that drew me to unschooling but anyway that's um for later on but um that was another thing so I guess I felt like the world was a little small like there was that school yeah. and the people in that school and yeah. that was it like there was no no nothing else like you couldn't go to any other classes or 
we didn't like there was a, a few people I could meet in the neighborhood but that was it and there was no anything screen like so no <laughs> so no internet no computers no television nothing. uh so I think those were two two major things that uh didn't didn't what didn't sit, sit well yeah <laughs> didn't sit well with me so those were kind of two other things I was thinking like you know like for Emma like but would I want that for her like that seems kind of uh restrictive or I don't know like closing the world instead of opening it mm -hmm. and and that message like when when you were talking about like um what uh like what I was being told about like not knowing the multiplication tables there was a lot of and this kind of ties back to Rousseau like his ideas about education like that you should be stuck in nature and society is bad they never talked about Rousseau as being part of their philosophy, but later when I read about Rousseau, I was like, wow, that sounds exactly like my school. Like, like uh, nature is good and children's innate uh, inspiration is good, but society is corrupting. So we need to keep children away from that corrupting society. So there was a lot of messages like that, like, oh, you don't know your multiplication tables, but you know, those poor kids like in school, they're sitting at these desks and you know, they're learning all these things by rote memory, um, but they're not really learning them. And so there was a lot of talk with the adults of like, poor these people from this corrupting society and we're doing this wonderful thing. And also limitations like the, I don't know, from the adults at the school, but also from my family, like that we would be great. So there were all these stories about these great people like Mozart who, you know, was wonderful without having gone to traditional school. So there was like this expectation that, you know, like we'd be doing these great things, but there wasn't, I felt like these expectations, but no real support. Like I want to learn music. Yes. These are the notes. Go learn on your own. <laughs> That's the way I felt a lot of times, but other people from my school don't feel like that, but it was me. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is very unique at like to the person. It is very individual, the kind yeah. of environments that are, that are supportive. And yeah. So I think my kind of quest for the best education is also kind of silly in a way because it's not like there'll be one education that's perfect for for every single person. It's more like what do different people need? <laughs> so how did you find it when you were in um, the university programs? And right. So I, I went education. to university to study um, kind of like arts, multimedia animation, actually. So like anime, drawing animated uh, characters and then bringing them to life in, in kind of video format. Uh, so, but it was a liberal arts school. So they had us do all kinds of courses like economics and math and I don't know, biology. There was like, there was a range of things that we had to uh, require so we had to meet to graduate. Um, and so I was always kind of curious about education courses because I had started to teach English as a second language when I was 16. Yeah. <laughs> First as a way of making money and I was really scared to teach and then I found it really interesting like trying to think of all these games to make it more interesting for my students. Um, but I didn't like and then I started teaching in an institute but then it was it was really regimented so there was like this curriculum and they already wrote the test for you and you had to have the students do the test so there wasn't a lot of creativity on my part and I thought oh that's education I don't want to do that no way <laughs> 
So, but then I took a class at university and they were talking about all these different theories. So it's like reading about that bit of Rousseau. And then I was like, oh, that's what it's like. That's exactly like my school. Like for, and so it's so exciting to me even now to read all of these different kind of education philosophies or views and try and understand them with the different schools I've been to, I guess. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so kind of reading about the, all of those things. And, um, so then I started getting really interested with those kind of courses, like not with the mechanics that I had been doing at work or some of the classes were like, you teach this way, you evaluate this way and that I didn't like, but I really liked learning about all these different education philosophies and also kind of like psychology and related to education, like motivation <laughs> and things like that. And then I guess I kind of thought, so the best that didn't really work, I thought at the time, because there, there was no structure, there was no kind of uh, help or like the teachers weren't trying to motivate us like, oh, there's this chemistry thing. Do you want to see this experiment? Like there was no like inviting. So then I got into all of these bits at university where it was like, in all of the education theories and things I was reading about psychology, it was kind of like, oh, um, well, the school structure kind of works like this. Like there's these things you have to do the whole coercion bit, uh, mm -hmm. with the grades and everything, but we don't like that. So we're, we're going to kind of ignore it. And we're going to talk about all these wonderful ways that teachers can motivate students to learn and present these ideas in these cool ways and all that. So I really liked that for a long time. <laughs> um, but I, but it also didn't really seem to be working like in it it didn't seem to make sense in other ways because for example, we'd have all these cool ideas about like how to present something or how to engage students. But then there was these lessons on differentiated education, talking about all the ways that students are different, like all of their interests and their learning styles and the gender and their culture and maybe neurodiversity and all these things. And I was like, okay, so I'm gonna have, you know, 25 students that are completely different. So no matter how engaging I make the lesson, it's not gonna, work for all these students. Of it. <laughs> so now I need to do 25 different lessons. This is not working either. <laughs> so that's kind of a takeaway from my undergrad where I was just still confused. Like the PESA doesn't seem to be the answer, but this kind of traditional education even made amazing sounding doesn't seem to work either. So <laughs> doesn't really work. Um, and then for my master's and now PhD, um, I've been studying, I am still a student at OISE from the University of Toronto, and there the focus is on society, education and society. So it's a very different focus and also very interesting. So like, how does racism play out in schools and all these gender roles? And what happens, you know, if students are in this school that doesn't reflect their culture at all? And what's the relationship between culture and school? And all of these different um, a, a very different lens from what I did in my undergraduate, which was, was mostly like classroom focus, like plan a good lesson and things like that. Um, really different focus and like reading historically, like how schools have been used for colonial purposes. Um, so all that, all of those kind of things. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, that is very, very interesting because that bigger picture is, is so much a part of understanding Understanding how that system tries to fit in there, right? It, yeah. it does. It just gives you a bigger picture idea of of that. And 
how much of it isn't really about the learning? Right. How much exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's my grad, graduate education has just opened up my mind so much about the different purposes of schooling that have nothing to do with learning. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's a nice great. way to sum it up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now we get to the super fun part. Let's pull all this together. <laughs> yeah, let me try and see if I can pull it all together. Yes, as in like, so all those, it, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating to me, like what your experience was um, growing up with, with in that school and the things that you found, the pieces that you found challenging and then how that um, it inspired you or, you know, had you thinking that almost, I was going to say almost the opposite of it, but yeah. you know, just, just more structure would have been more helpful. And so now you're, you're participating in that structure, you're questioning it, and then you're learning such interesting bits like that piece where, you know, it is very logical that learning is in the context of each individual and their experiences and, and, their styles and their, you know, who they are and where they are in that moment is what you need to connect to. So there, there is this kind of air gap between, yes, make it personal, make it interesting. And, and, and kids love learning and you have to do it in this classroom with 25 kids. Like, you know, how, how do you bridge that, that gap? So that's super interesting. So how did you come across unschooling itself and what are the, all those pieces that that kind of lit up for you that helped that made you think okay now unschooling is hitting these these particular pieces and that's what I would like to do with my family does that make sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so so what happened I guess as soon as Emma was born I started to change some of my thinking because um, because of who she is and, and the things and her strong, very strong, uh, knowledge of her own needs and the things that she wanted, um, and not wanting to be, you know, kind of, uh, directed or, or I don't know, like not wanting me to be leaving, leaving her life or like telling her like, this is good and this is wrong. Like she really knows what she needs. Uh, and and what she likes and and so that that's a big starting point <laughs> for me <laughs> of of wanting to um, to I don't know to meet to meet her and and not to try and be uh, in conflict of her with her all the time of like um, no actually this is good so you know this is the right thing so now I'm going to try and persuade you that this is the right thing and she's not having it and so maybe it's not the right thing like what's going on. <laughs> So a lot of, uh, a lot of learning and everything, I, everything starts with her, um, and, and me trying to, uh, do the best I can by her. Uh, so I, so I started reading a whole bunch of parenting books and everything. And, uh, and, and when I, let's see, I was also in a bunch of Facebook groups and trying to figure things out because like the, the kind of people that seemed to match with me, like from what I was like, attachment parenting, like mm -hmm. people who were breastfeeding and co-sleeping, but then they're all like anti-screens and anti-anything plastic and like only wooden toys. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure that I like that. Um, but anyway, so trying to find kind of authors that, that resonated with me. And then 
Uh, in one of the groups, they mentioned podcasts, which I'd never explored before. And somebody mentioned, what is it? Sage Family, Rachel Rainbolt. Mm -hmm. And so I scrolled through her um, through her episodes and I saw Alfie Khan, an interview with Alfie Khan. And I had read Un Unconditional Parenting a bunch of times and, and started reading other books of his and I loved it. So I listened to that interview. But then she had other episodes on unschooling. And at first I heard it, I thought, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't like the sound of that. That can't work. That sounds too much like the things that I didn't like about my alternative school. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there was an episode on technology and there was an episode on math, like how, how people learn math. And it just, it was so interesting. I was just so amazed. Like, oh, wow. Like the whole discussion on technology. I can't remember if I listened to that episode first or it was I found... Uh, there's an article, Lucy, I can never pronounce her name, her last name, Akinreed. Yeah, yeah. So she has an article about the 10 things that are worse for your child than an iPad or something, something like that. Yeah. And, and so one of my conflicts with Emma, uh, starting very young, <laughs> like when she was about, I don't know, one and a half or two and Marco. So my fight with both of them was that screens were bad. So I, all my life screens were horrible. Like we didn't have them at home. They were going to rot your brain and like your eyes were going to die and your creativity was going to die. And, you know, you were exposed to consumerism and commercialism and sexism and, oh my God, all these horrible things. <laughs> and Marcos had none of those views. And Emma loved watching, um, all kinds of things but especially I just remember the Snow White the Snow White videos that she loved she doesn't like princesses at all she doesn't care for Snow White but she loved the dwarves <laughs> and and she and Marco would watch Snow White and would sing the songs and would dance and would play with the you know with the he found some little plastic figurines and would play out these amazing scenes and she was not even two uh but she was starting to make like she would make this voice for grumpy that was so amazing <laughs> and like she was just kind of playing with that modulating her voice that she hadn't done before so just seeing her and they would draw snow white and they would you know everything and she would dress up and it was just a world of joy and of learning. And I was missing out on all of it because I was like, <laughs> it was just so funny to remember, but I get like, it's almost as if she was playing with a live snake or something. Like the screen would go on and my, my whole body, like I'd start like sweating and my heart would start racing. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> so I would be like trying to get Marco to like, turn it off. Like, okay, but only 20 minutes. I'm like, you got to turn it off. And like the pediatric association, blah, 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 says no screen before two and blah, blah. <laughs> So I was traumatized by this thing. Um, but I could see all of the joy that they were getting out of it. And also myself, I loved watching videos. And once, you know, once I was away from uh, independent on my own, I spent a lot of time watching videos and all, a lot of learning on computers and everything. Ah, so it was all clashing in my mind. <laughs> um, so then when I read Lucy's article and I listened to uh, first, it was Rachel uh, episode on podcast, and then I found your podcast, and then all of these different resources on unschooling and screens, for lack of a better word, technology, whatever. Yeah. It just opened up such a, an amazing world. <laughs> and it just made so much sense. And uh, the article of uh, Pam Sarushian on yeah. like the economics of restricting. And then I realized like, oh, wow, yeah like all my life, like how it had affected me to have, you know, uh, 
technology restricted and food restricted and all these different things restricted and how that made or still still makes me kind of the I guess it's almost like a word of binge like oh I'm not allowed I'm not allowed and I won't let myself do this bad thing but if I do then binge like binge on I don't know a Netflix series or binge on food or binge on these things that are bad Uh, and so it just makes so much sense (laughs) and so I started you know doing all this reading and listening and then trying to get my emotions to catch up with my intellect (laughs) because intellectually I can understand all of the reasons and and it just makes so much sense but then emotionally like she'd be you know first hour okay second hour and then like oh (laughs) my heart is racing she's been watching for two hours (laughs) I'm gonna die Uh, anyway (laughs) no you really um, need those experiences like that one you can understand something intellectually but then you need enough experiences and and observations and it's like it it isn't a switch it really is a time thing before you can really come to trust and know it like you feel it in your bones because you know you're having that emotional that anxious reaction and everything so it takes time to work through where you're not having that anymore so that's why the idea it took me a like, long time in your bones works for me yeah it is a physical thing isn't it it is it really <laughs> oh and it took me so long but um we never like even when I was like feeling in this panic mode I never I never I never ever said like I never said that's enough like I never said there's only one hour like we never said and we never made it had any rules or or prohibitions around it but we did um like try and hide the ipad and interest her in other things or if she'd already been at it for two hours we'd like i'd take out like something that she really liked like beans (laughs) like lots and lots of beans like throw them around and toss them down the slide and like just playing with like things like that and so uh she'd often just kind of leave it there and come and play and then since she was distracted we kind of hide it um but then she started not working like she'd get angry that I was hiding it and anyway so there was a lot of kind of like like I knew that the reasons made sense but then I was like but she's too young like all these things that these unschooling people are talking about are for like the examples are seven-year-olds or you know older kids but Emma's just two and so it's not right she's so young anyway a lot of working through that so there was a period when she um so when we really kind of said, okay, like, we're just gonna leave the iPad there. And and then when we moved to Quito, we have this big TV right in the middle of her playing area. <laughs> and this, that's the way it worked out with the spaces. So now like her space has this huge TV and then a big couch where she, you know, jumps on and lies on and has all her toys around it and the iPad and everything. So now it's just part of her, like it's one more toy. And now we're finally at a stage where it is one more toy, like for me and also for her, because there was this little period where, when it was more available, like she did spend a a few, a bit more time at it, but um, it quickly became just one more thing. So some days she's interested, some days she's not, and it's just like any other toy or tool in her environment. (laughs) I imagine too, as you were working through it, she could, even though you weren't setting specific rules, she could probably, yeah, she can set your energy and and the hiding and stuff like that. Like, yeah, 
yeah, even when we stopped the hiding and the stuff, she was, it was still a while, I guess, where she was like, now what are they going to do? Yeah, <laughs> now yeah. how are they going to react? <laughs> it's that time again. It takes time for all of us to work through those different, yeah. different pieces. So she basically, that was time for her to develop trust again. Yeah. That. Yeah, and and for me, I guess like when she was kind of rewatching the same things and was watching for two hours or whatever, uh, or three hours or who cares how long, but not like all day. Um, so I started to calm down. But then there was one time where I found this iPad game that I knew she would love because it had no like prizes or levels or winning. It's just like uh, little animated animals, which she loves, and you have them do different things in their environment. And so it's like role play on screen. Uh, I found that a few months ago and I gave it to her and she just loved it. And that day spent the whole day on it and I was starting to get panicky again. And I was like, ah, so I remembered um, one other article that I read from uh, Happiness is Here, Sarah, I can't remember her last name, but she was writing just like the Minecraft experience with her children that, you know, that they, they loved it for a few days and did nothing but and barely slept. And then the novelty was over. And she said, it's just like any other new thing. So I was thinking, yeah, it's like any other new thing. So Emma loves deep dives. Like she likes a book. She wants to read a hundred times. <laughs> that's, that's what she does with all the things that she loves. And so she did this deep dive and learned every single thing about that game. <laughs> well, you know, that's In like, day. We, we do that as adults. That's like kind of a human thing, right? That when we yeah. do something new and we're excited, we want to do it as much as possible until we kind of uh, gain that, that experience. Right. I mean, we, we want yeah. to like, if I I'm know it's just book, all these I'm cultural messages. Like, yeah. Yeah. I do that all the time. It's just, I guess all these cultural messages, like, Oh, it should be an hour a day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this makes no sense. But anyway, letting go of that too. <laughs> um, so that technology about is a big part of, of, you know, from unschooling, you felt more, it made more sense to you versus the way you grew up. Like you put that in context when you started learning about unschooling and you started moving through. Um, Cause I imagine like, as you're learning about it, you're putting that in the context of all your other experience, right? Your university and education experience and your experience learning growing up. So what were um, some, some other, of the other pieces? Yeah. So some of the other things were, I guess like related to the screen thing, just being open to the world instead of like trying to have like this protected environment where, you know, it was all wooden toys and whatever and all good rather than just kind of being open to the world and open to whatever it is that she likes or she wants or she needs rather than trying to have like these things that are good and these things that are bad. So I really like that about unschooling um, where I don't feel that there's like, um, you know, like nature is good and technology is bad or like the, the whole food thing, like this types of food and these are good and these types of food are bad or things like that. It's just ah, uh, so different, like just kind of, um, I guess I, I won't try and summarize <laughs> the unschooling view because everybody knows it or will learn about it in another place, but it was just so different from my experience growing up and so refreshing and felt so right to have these views about being open to the world and open to what children need and uh, like and want to explore. <laughs> uh, there's also other bits, like I was telling you in the alternative school, there was math 
uh, not like taught in a sequence like in traditional schools, but there was like a specific area for math with specific Montessori materials for math. And like, there was this thing of like, you're not doing math. Why aren't you going up to, you know, like you should be doing at least a little bit. Like there wasn't a specific thing, but there was a little push. Um, and so what I really liked about all the things that I've listened to and learned about unschooling in relation to kind of math is just, it's really part of life. And so it's not like there's a specific area or there's specific materials or it's a different thing. Um, <laughs> so I just really like that view too. And just kind of thinking like, okay, that's a bit different from, from my alternative education so there was like three different so at first in my mind there were just two options like what you were saying it was like there was the alternative school where there was not really a lot of like engagement with adults or invitation or that many options and then there was the structured thing where there were like uh, like invitations or, but there was also a lot of coercion like you have to do it <laughs> and the grading thing but and all these other bits and so this third option just sounded so much better <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there was, there's also just I guess the main thing that we talk about in the network <laughs> the relationships and so what I was telling you about um kind of the alternative school and and the way that that the adults were kind of interacting was mainly as I said like you set up the environment and then kids are supposed to play with kids and you know you can interact with them a little bit but be careful not to interfere <laughs> and and so um, I see with Emma that she really, really seeks out adults and loves playing with adults rather than kids for now, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I was the same, but that was frowned upon, you know? Yeah. Um, and just like the developing of a real relationship rather than the adult being like the provider of the environment. <laughs> there is such a huge difference between directing and supporting. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it sounds like they were um, so uncomfortable with the idea of directing that they kind of stepped back from engaging and supporting like your your music. I'd like to learn how to read music example is perfect. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, they gave you a little little tiny taste of it and then left you off to go and do it on your own because they didn't want to direct you. But in that engagement, in that relationship, there's just so many clues as to, you know, when it becomes a little bit more coercive, when we start coming at it, at it with an agenda of our own. Yeah. Like yeah, when the adult so starts kind of pushing. Yeah. 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 There's so much information and just joy <laughs> that we can have um, through that connection and engagement of, of helping them learn it and yeah. whether we have have that knowledge that we can share with them or whether it's something new for us and we're figuring it out together yeah you know what I mean like that whole it, it is the value of, of a relationship in learning yeah is vast isn't it that's what I've loved the most I think about your work <laughs> about what I've been reading and listening to and all the things um so yeah, it's been such a joy to really connect with Emma and other people in my life. And uh, when going back to the beginning, when, when you asked me about like learning to play, that was actually another piece that I had to peel back because it was like, oh, but I shouldn't be directing. I shouldn't be doing this. And sometimes I was even getting on at medical, like, oh, but you know, like you're directing her too much. I'm like, don't tell her this. And uh, of course that's not helping any relationships. <laughs> 
Um, but that was another layer to peel back uh, of like, you know, like I can connect with her without um, directing or being pushy or having my own agenda. Uh, so it's not like either I step away or I have an agenda. There is another possibility. <laughs> and, and what I love in there, this piece you know, we talked earlier about, you know, that need to be perfect to do everything right. And when we're playing, like you've said, Emma will not put up with you directing. She'll be like, no. <laughs> and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. No, I love that about her. <laughs> yeah. That's and that is really. just us learning in the moment. It's not a bad thing that we thought about that next thing because that's where we were. But if she says no, that's not a bad thing either. And we just go a different way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> just so much of the dance, again, back to that relationship, right? That we're both, yeah. that she's free to say, to add that to the conversation or to the yeah. play and yeah. to direct it in the way she wants to go. And if we kind of miss you know, it's that fear of misstepping that I think can sometimes hold us back. We don't want, which is exactly it. I don't want to direct it. I don't want to get yeah. in trouble for misdirecting it or, or anything <laughs> like that. Yet when we're just in the moment playing, all yeah. that flows there, doesn't it? It's totally yeah. okay. <laughs> yes. It's on my mind and it can just go away. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing that I thought was really interesting that you mentioned I wanted to get back to was how um, the parents parents were encouraged not to let their kids do outside classes yeah. and stuff, right? And that is so fascinating because, like you said, that does close off the world versus opening it up. And, yes, on one hand, I think it's that fear piece of that traditional schooling area. Yeah. Like, you can you know, you can totally understand that, but with unschooling, if that's something, I mean, when people first come to unschooling, we do kind of encourage don't jump to classes as the first, as so often we're in the mindset that the class is the right way to learn that. Like maybe they just want to dance around the living room. Maybe they just want to kick the ball around. You know, I love that piece too. (laughs) Yeah. Don't have to go do formal training, but there's also, you know, if that's, what they'd enjoy, if that's what they'd navigate to, maybe they're tired of kicking around and they want to do it more. Maybe they want to do it with more kids. Maybe they want to have the game experience. You know, there's so many reasons why that's also a cool thing. Just another choice on the whole platter, right? And I think it's our relationships and our connection with them that mitigates that fear of direction. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have to all of a sudden adopt this authoritarian outlook from the classroom and, and yeah. bring it into our home. Right. Yeah. We can talk to our kids. Like my, like Michael left scouts. Um, it was it second, second or third year because he didn't like that more. Like we moved, he had a new troop. He didn't like how authoritarian and controlling mm-hmm. that group was yeah. like that was a choice yeah. but we were having conversations about it and he weighed yeah. what he got out of it and what he didn't like about it and he's like yeah. you know there's just not enough good there for yeah. me but that also doesn't mean that he shouldn't have gone there in the first place you know what I mean? yeah <laughs> I think it's I love what you said about the conversations because I think just kind of reading later on it's like okay so maybe there is I don't know sexism in the thing that Emma decides to watch 
So is the solution to turn it off and, you know, shut it away and like, no, you're never watching that or talk about it because she's probably going to encounter it again. (laughs) So like back to those conversations about all of the different things that she might be interested. I think that's a better focus for me (laughs) or or I, I feel better about that. Yeah. And there's ultimately, there's just so much more learning there. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The world is bigger. I love that. I love that, that vision, you know, just yeah. that of opening up our world versus closing. Mm-hmm. Down. It's always yeah. a clue to me when I'm feeling like I need to pull in and close mm-hmm. off a piece of the world. That yeah. it's time for me to do some of that, some of that work, some of that emotional work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess like the last piece that I had written down, I don't know if we have time. Or oh, sure. Okay. Uh, the last thing that I'd written down, like uh, on my notes, like trying to kind of think of kind of pulling the pieces together. Yeah. Um, about the kind of uh, the alternative school that I went to is, is the focus on that. I've also heard in a lot of talk about in unschooling resources that I've accessed about kind of uh, rules versus principles or boundaries and consequences. I found that in a lot of the kind of natural parenting world that I kind of was initially attracted to because I said as the attachment parenting, um, but there's a lot of the talk of like the boundaries and the consequences and the natural consequences and like the validating, um, not the valid, okay, I'll try and explain better. (laughs) So (laughs) just a second, let me try and gather my thoughts. (laughs) Anyway, so I'll try and, tie it to a story so when we arrived first arrived at the school uh, you know fresh from Canada we we went, visited the school in the afternoon when there were no kids there but it was kind of the introduction of the place and um and and as I said my parents had kind of sold the idea of the school being that there were animals there that we could see so we were directed to the kindergarten area because my two sisters were younger and not allowed in the primary area. And it turns out the rabbits were only in the primary area, <laughs> like the primary school. So I was so excited and we all were because that, you know, that was one of the reasons we had come to the school was to th- see these animals. And we were like, ah, and we could see like right from the kindergarten area, the rabbits were right over there, like 20 feet away. So I was ready to go running. And then the uh, kind of uh, principals of the school said, like, no, you're you can't like your sisters can't go into the primary area. That's the rule. And it was such a shock. Like, I like I still feel like a shudder right now because I was like, oh, my God, like we came all the way from Canada. They're not going to let us see the rabbits. And like I was used to kind of explaining or like trying to reason like what what was behind the rule like with my parents I was saying but there's no other kids here right now like if you're afraid that other kids are gonna see like that we're going to see the rabbits it's 20 feet away it's not even in the other building like I was trying to reason my way out of this um and they were no they were like no that's the rule that's what we do here and that was that was the tone forevermore because then my parents got into that so they wouldn't uh listen anymore like if I if I talk they're just like nope that's the rule and that was earth shattering (laughs) wow that was quite amazing so yeah that bit (laughs) yes yes no that 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 again that closes everything down doesn't it yeah no more talk about the rules ever again wow yeah that that is that is fascinating (laughs) 
I mean, yeah, when you think about that from, from the child's point of view, right? For you, like you're, There's you're no harm. having conversations, <laughs> like no more conversations about this. I don't, I don't even care to hear what you think about it. Yeah. I'm not open to, because a rule is a rule. And yeah. I know I darn well better not go back on a rule is a rule or I'll... Yeah, there was a lot of talk. And my mom even talked about it. Like she was like, Oh, yeah. So, you know, like, you know, things are pretty chaotic. So we have to, you know, we're gonna have these rules, and we're gonna stick to them. And or else there's gonna be consequences. And you know, like, this is what we're learning at the school. And for me, it was just like, ah, (laughs) horrible. (laughs) And uh, I guess the other piece that happened when we just arrived the first time was, um, my sister was just three, and wanted to get on the slide. And she was asking my dad to help her. And they were like, no, you know, kids, yeah, the, the whole fostering of independence thing, which is the other piece tied to the kind of this kind of philosophy, like the Montessori, is that kids should be really independent from early on and that you should kind of help them be independent. But it's more framed in like kids want to be independent and we shouldn't get in their way. It's framed that way, but it yeah. didn't always work out that way because my sister was screaming on the floor because they wouldn't help her on the slide all of a sudden because it was a change like before they would have but they hear these alternative people are telling them like no 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 if she can't get on the slide herself you shouldn't be helping her and so then uh, anyway that yeah no that goes (laughs) that well I mean in in that world that makes you know sense that's within their framework right because we were talking earlier about that support piece yeah whether it's physical things or whether it's you know things that they're learning yeah yeah. It was like minimal support, but but like trying to help kids yeah. be able to do as much as they could early on. So it was like so, but it, like in some ways, it was nice. Like they had really tiny low sinks, so that kids could yeah. wash their own hands without assistance. And a lot of kids love that. But then, what if there's a kid that doesn't want help? Then it's no. So yeah. that's the bit that I wasn't that I still don't agree with. But, I mean, so that's a piece of unschooling that you. That, that I am that, that I like really <laughs> and that feels good yeah <laughs> and then like you had also asked I think about kind of my education there's a lot of I think we already talked a lot about a lot of bits but um I, what I really liked about unschooling and um, was the lack of coercion because I had as I said in my graduate education reading so much about like schools for the purposes of colonization or racism or oppression of different peoples and coercion is tied into all of that and I really like the discussions of unschooling as a tool for decolonization in some groups that I found and and kind of like like Akila Richard I think mentions like how can you use you know how can you use oppression against children and then hope for liberation Mm -hmm. she can't say it like that but that's the general idea and I didn't remember to write down the quote but just kind of oppression and coercion towards children and what that does as a larger society yeah I mean and we talked about that last month too in within the eyes of consent right yes I love that when you're (laughs) you're having these requirements and then all of a sudden you want you know you're not giving them those tools yeah right for but you're expecting them to you know walk into the world as an adult it's like okay this life is for kids and this life is for adults so you know kids don't have the power right they they need to be controlled yeah. uh, they need to be coerced into doing what's right and, and all that kind of stuff but then all of a sudden that's not how they're supposed to treat anybody else once they're an adult <laughs> 
But then that's true. Vacuum, right? But but then how am I supposed to? All I know is the way you treated me. Yeah. So I'm going to turn around and that those are the tools I know for treating other people, right? So it it it's it's. <laughs> Yeah, no, we'll have links for all that in, in the show notes too. <laughs> Zakia Ismail and Akila have been on the yeah. podcast. They both. Um, yeah, I listened to those episodes and I love them. <laughs> I love that stuff too. That's great. Okay. Did you have anything else on your list? Um, you I guess one last thing. One okay. last thing. I just remembered uh, you had an amazing episode with Holly Johnson, I believe her name is. Mm-hmm. she was talking about leaving her son at a Montessori school and how hard that was for him and that I listened to that episode right when we were kind of trying to decide whether we should try and find some kind of kindergarten program for Emma mostly because of all the work that we had to do but also because of this idea that you know she should be with other children and all this push of like children need to go to kindergarten because of all these different things while I was learning about unschooling but uh, I knew Emma would never want to stay anywhere without us unless she'd had a long time, like months, to develop a very strong relationship with an adult there. Um, but all of these places were just saying, like, no, you know, you drop them off. And then if they cry, that's fine. That's just part of it. Most kids cry for like two weeks. That's fine. And I'm talking to my friends like that had also gone to this alternative school and have found these alternative kindergartens that they love because they're similar or they're the same philosophy of this alternative school. So they're like, oh, it's wonderful. And, you know, it's even our previous teacher, you remember so-and-so, and she's so kind. And they have all these songs and games and things, and my kids love it. And they're telling me all these things. And then I ask them, okay, but how was that at first? Like, how did how did it first happen that you dropped her off? And then what happened? Like, oh, yeah, lots of crying, but it lasted, you know, two weeks and it was fine. And for me, that's just, I <laughs> I don't know how to express, I guess, just listening to Holly Johnson's episode, I was just thinking, yeah, that's what's going to happen with Emma. Like, that's not, the, it's just, um, it just resonated so much with me and helped me so much work through that piece uh-huh. of, um, that piece of, of, dropping kids off and the whole adaptation period I'm saying in quotation marks of kids crying their eyes out not all of them but some of them of not being wanting to be there yeah yeah no that was that was an amazing story and I'll put links there too so that people can <laughs> if they haven't heard that one already okay so all right done <laughs> what is something fun that you guys have done recently that you don't think you would have done before finding unschooling. I just thought that would be a fun way to (laughs) wrap things up. Yeah. uh, So one night, (laughs) Emma had put on Duck McStuffins, and a few uh, days before, she had found a little keyboard, uh, like a wireless keyboard that we had, um, and she put it right in front of this big television. And, And, well, before she was kind of playing around with typing on it, and she was saying that she was doing her thesis because she hears me a lot trying to finish this dissertation (laughs) for the PhD. So anyway, she was working away on her thesis, but then she put it in front of that television and was watching watching Doc McStuffin. And she lay down on the sofa and she pretended to sleep. Like she was like, oh, now I'm going to sleep. I was like, okay. And then (laughs) she jumped up like a firecracker, like right up (laughs) off the sofa, run to the television and start typing furiously. And then she started telling me that she was telling 
like she was trying to direct the story. So like it was going to rain and she was typing like, don't rain. And then she'd run back to the sofa and lie down and pretend to sleep again. <laughs> it was so funny. And she would just kind of pretend to sleep. And it was really late. So I thought she might actually, actually sleep. And she closed her eyes. And then she'd jump up again <laughs> and go tearing off to the television and start, type, start typing furiously, like whatever part of the story she was changing in her mind. <laughs> and she did that a whole bunch of times. And it was just so funny. <laughs> and there's just so many stories like that, but I won't go into a million of them, but just all of the stories related to all of the joy that we've uh, come across. <laughs> by accepting the horrible terrible monsters that are screams <laughs> oh my goodness that's hilarious I can just picture it line sorry going through her mouth oh, I gotta change that okay that that's lovely thank you for sharing that one <laughs> and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me Daniela it's been so much fun I love it I've been following the podcast for so long it was so exciting to finally come on too (laughs) well thank you so much for digging up all those things in your past and trying to you know (laughs) some of that together as you came here it's been so interesting for me I really really (laughs) thank you (laughs) now before we go is there a place where people can connect with you online oh I hadn't thought of that um well I'm happy if anybody has any specific questions uh, for my email I guess is the easiest uh I can write yeah, it to you I can share in the yeah I'll put that show notes. so we can put um, that. I'm on Facebook but I don't check it much lately <laughs> <laughs> and I don't really I mean I, I don't really post things yet <laughs> I have Instagram but I don't really post um I don't know for now I like sometimes posting things in the network <laughs> where it feels like a kind of uh, safer smaller place uh with people that I'm getting to know so I like that I haven't really much been into posting things to the wider world yet (laughs) no problem no problem it's not an expectation (laughs) (laughs) maybe I'll want to maybe I won't but anyway I'm happy to connect with anybody who has any questions I I've seen a lot of people very interested in alternative schools so uh it's always interesting for me the kind of view that people from outside have of it and then the view that I have from inside <laughs> no, <laughs> from having been in the kind of that kind of alternative school that I that is quite common I think mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. the world it's getting more common anyway oh that's awesome thank you so much Daniela have a wonderful rest of the day you too <laughs> bye I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey and be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes the conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.